0: Scripture here, Matthew chapter 14, and in verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the even was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a Spirit, for they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. You know, before I get on, I'm wanting to get to another point, but let me just illustrate something here. This is really a powerful Passage of scripture. You know, we read this and sometimes take it for granted, but this is awesome. To see Jesus come walking on the water. If this had never happened before, there was no precedent for it. Jesus came walking on top of the very situation that was killing these disciples. Well, I tell you, that just shows you how totally in control. You know, like we were saying, no problem, nothing's a big problem to Jesus. These disciples were in the midst of a sea. They were about to drown. They had been bailing water. They had been fighting it. It says that it was the fourth watch of the night. That means it was between 3 and 6 a.m. And he sent them out on that sea before it was dark. And it's only about a two-hour trip across the Sea of Galilee at the max. So these people had been battling for, I don't know, close to eight hours. It was a major struggle. They could not overcome it. They were about to drown. And then Jesus comes walking on top of the problem that was killing them. And it says here... Uh, well, it says over in, uh, this is in Mark chapter 6. It doesn't say it here, but in Mark chapter 6, this same instance, it says he made as though he would have passed by them. Just like he was out for a stroll. He would have just walked right on by them. Man, he's cool. Nothing bothers Jesus. He is not struggling, wondering how in the world he can pull it off and and get you your answer. The Lord has an answer before you had a problem. No big deal. He just came walking on the water, made as though he would have passed by them. And when they saw him, they were terrified. They thought it must be a spirit. They were seeing a spirit. And Jesus called out unto him. He says, don't be afraid, it's me. And look at what Peter said. What Peter is always sticking his foot in his mouth. Seemed like the only time he opened his mouth was to change feet. And Peter said in verse 28, he answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get in trouble because of the questions we ask. Peter didn't say, Lord, can I walk on the water? Is it your will for me to walk on the water? God, do I have faith to walk on the water? Lord, should I walk on the water? If he'd asked those kinds of questions, he might have got a different answer. But he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. What was Jesus going to say? It's not me, don't come. <laughs> How do you answer a question like that? It was him, so he had to say, come. You know, really, there is no reason to believe that there was any reason for Peter to walk on the water. He did this just to see if he could do it. And I believe that this is the reason we get in trouble a lot of times. There was a, when I first heard this, there was a guy who was supposed to come to a place where I was pastoring in church, and he was struggling over this because he had just prayed and God led him to a certain university, Oklahoma Baptist University, and he had a scholarship to go to Berkeley or Oklahoma Baptist University, and he prayed, and God led him there, he got a scholarship, everything was perfect, everything was falling in line, and within six weeks of being at this college, God told him to forsake his scholarship, forsake everything, move to Seagullville, Texas, and sit under our ministry. And he said he was struggling with that, and saying, God, how come? How could you lead me one direction, and then in just six weeks turn around and lead me the other direction, he struggled with this for about two or three months. And finally, the Lord spoke to him and he said, John, out of the two choices you gave me, Berkeley or OBU, OBU is the better of the two. <laughs> he says, but I didn't want you to go to either one. It just so happened that my sister lived there and men him. And through that, he got to know me and God was leading him. But see, this is the reason we have trouble sometimes. We say, God, do you want me to do A or B? You should put in there C, none of the above. <laughs> true. I asked a question one time, God, do you want me to leave the Baptist church, or do you just not care about these people? Do you just don't care if they all die and go to hell, or do you want me to stay here and minister to them? Well, now, what's he going to say? Out of those two choices, he says, leave and let them all go to hell? No, and so as a result, I stayed in a church that was killing me for two years because I just couldn't believe God wanted me to leave and let them all die and go to hell. And finally, it dawned on my lightning fast mind that maybe he wanted me to leave and still pray for him and love him and still minister to Baptists. And, you know, I minister to hundreds of Baptists now, thousands of Baptists. I go and minister in a Baptist church every year. I've done it for 15 years. I haven't forsaken the Baptists, but guess what? I'm not stuck anymore. Amen? <laughs> the Lord showed me it's like, you know, pulling off in the mud and getting stuck with somebody so they'd feel good. Didn't do them a bit of good. I just drove past him and waved at him and said, I'm going to get help. I'll be back with help. Amen.
1: <laughs>
0: Praise God. So anyway, this is a stupid question is what I'm getting at. He shouldn't have asked this, but God said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. It says in verse 29, And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He walked on the water. This was a miracle. Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. A miracle. But it didn't last. It says in verse 30, When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to think, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, you could look at this from a lot of ways. I teach a lot of different things from this, but this fits into what we're talking about, spiritual authority. Peter asked the Lord, says, God, you give me the word and I'll walk on the water. The Lord said, come. But did he pick Peter up and make him walk on the water? Did he get Peter and grab him out of that boat and start walking him on that water and somehow do this for him? The Lord said, come. But Peter, through faith, took authority. Now, he didn't maybe use those words, but that's what it was. He believed that when the Lord said, Come, that he had the power to walk on water. And Peter's the one that got out of the boat. Peter's the one that took the steps. Peter's the one that began to walk. And notice, it wasn't God's will for him to walk just part way and then sink and drown. But because he got his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the wind and the waves, he began to sink. There's some people that believe that if God's really in something, it'll just work. Well, God was in Peter walking on the water, or he couldn't have done it, and yet he began to sink. You know why? Because God's power comes to pass through us. It is not God just using us independent of ourselves. Man, there's so many applications of this. You know, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, there's a lot of people that don't flow in the gifts of the Spirit because they have this concept that, man, if I stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, it's got to be pure, 100% proof, Holy Ghost. Amen. It cannot be any flesh in it. When I'm standing up, it's just the Holy Ghost flowing through me and there is no flesh in it. And that intimidates a lot of people and they just are afraid that they might say something wrong. I can guarantee you when you operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, you say something wrong. And that may scare somebody and say, Oh, brother, I thought it was God. It is God. But God uses flesh. God uses people just like Peter walked on the water. But did that mean that it was pure Holy Ghost? No, the Holy Spirit was inspiring it and empowering him, but it was flowing through Peter. And when Peter got his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He didn't just plop down all of a sudden. I never saw anybody begin to sink. You know what? If you were were out standing on the water and if you couldn't stand, you wouldn't begin to sink. You'd just sink. Apparently, Peter was walking on the water, but then all of a sudden, as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Just little by little, he got up to his ankles and then up to his knees, and it was getting deeper, and he began to sink. His faith didn't just leave all of a sudden. It began to wane as he looked at other things. And God's power ceased to work the way that it should. Did that mean that somehow or another it wasn't God's power that caused him to walk on the water? There's some people that believe that. There's some people that if you pray for them, and if they get healed and everything goes good, but then all of a sudden some of the symptoms come back, they say, it wasn't God. If it was God, they'd have had no problem. You can't prove that from Scripture. There's a misconception, see, that God just does things without us. God flows through us. He doesn't do things without us. He flows through us. He gave the word, come, but Peter had to mix his faith with that word, take authority, and step out on it. And when Peter stepped out, the power of God began to flow. And when he stepped back into the boat in his heart, not physically, but when he all of a sudden began to be fearful and say, Oh, man, I wish I was back in the boat, he began to sink. The power began to subside, not because God changed, not because his word changed, but because Peter changed. And see, it's the same thing in the gifts of the Spirit. When a person stands up and speaks in the name of the Lord... The Lord may inspire it, but it comes through the vessel. The very first time I ever gave a prophecy, it's a long story, but I was shaky. I was pastoring this little group of people, and the first time I ever gave a prophecy was when I was pastoring this church. The people that were there, there wasn't a one of them that had ever heard a gift of the Spirit in their life. We were out on the lunatic fringe. (laughs) This was back about 1972, and there was no such thing as a Spirit-filled church. They didn't exist. There was no charismatic movement. Nobody had even heard the word charismatic. I mean, it was just, it was back on the, I mean, we were wild. And we had a little group of people sitting around electrical spools with uh, wine bottles and candles in them. And that was uh, what we had for our church. And we sat around and were praising God. And anyway, the Lord gave me a message in tongues. And I spoke out in tongues. And man, it got quiet everything stopped the music stopped everything stopped everybody just panicked like oh my god and we were waiting for an interpretation and one didn't come and it seemed like we waited for hours but i'm sure it's just a few minutes and i said lord i believe that was of you and i didn't have the interpretation but finally i said lord i know this was of you," and so if somebody else is not going to give it i'll give it i said show me what it was and the lord showed me exactly what the interpretation was i didn't have it Word for word. I don't believe God was inspiring me, but because somebody else defaulted, he gave me the interpretation. And so I started out delivering it. And the very first time I ever delivered a, a word, of uh, an interpretation of a tongue, I started out and I said, you ain't got no business, is the way this prophecy started. And as soon as I said that, I just stopped and went, oh God, this cannot be you. There is no way you're going to use a double negative. There's no way God talks this way. But you know i knew it was god so i just kept on talking and finally i said hey i can read it to you i'll tell you exactly what god is saying and i turned over to joshua chapter 1 verses 7 8 and 9 and i read those scriptures and i said this is exactly what the lord is saying and a guy a young guy who later became my associate and is now pastor in a church of nearly two thousand people just a super brother he had he had just been born again a short time he had never heard a gift of the spirit and he had an interpretation but he wasn't sure he had, God had given him all of these words, but he just wasn't sure it was God. And so you know what? When I turned over to Joshua chapter 1 and started reading, it was word for word what he had. He had never even read those scriptures, and God had given him word for word a scripture. And man, he confirmed it, and then see, it all worked out good, and it really convinced those people. But the point that I'm making is, God used me even though I said, you ain't got no business. I can guarantee you that is not the way God talks. God inspired it, but it came through me. When I minister, God inspires what I say, but it's not 100% God. I had somebody listen to one of my tapes one time, and they listen, and I may quote as many as 100 scriptures. It, It depends. Sometimes I minister differently, but I have ministered well over 100 scriptures sometimes on a tape, and the vast majority of them I quote. I don't turn over and look them all up. And a guy was listening to one of my tapes. He was critical and skeptical about what I was ministering. And I quoted the wrong chapter and verse for a scripture. I quoted the scripture word for word. But I gave the wrong chapter and verse. And this guy who was a pastor of a church told his people, he says, see, that guy's the devil. He misquoted it. He missed the scripture. And if it was God, he would have had it just exactly right. That's this concept that when you are being used as God, you are just pure Holy Spirit. And it's not that way. The Holy Spirit inspires it but it comes through you. And you know, I taught this to our church when I pastored in um, Childress, Texas, and I told them, I said, look, God can speak through you, but you may get a word and make a paragraph out of it. And lots of times that's the way it is. People will hear a little bit from God and then they'll get excited and add to it. And sometimes we, I just told them, I said, look, we're going to sit around and judge these things. We're going to sit here and determine whether this is God. And I said, I'm not infallible, but to the best of my ability, I'm going to judge what you speak and tell you whether it was God or whether it wasn't or how much of it was God. And when people would give a prophecy, we'd sit around. This is when we were first getting started in it. We'd sit around and critique it. It's what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, let one prophesy and the other judge. So we sat around and judged it. And I'd tell people, I said, now, this was exactly right, what you were saying. But, you know, you should have stopped right here. After that, it was just you. (laughs) And we'd tell them. And the people didn't take offense. And they begin to learn and they begin to be sensitive to how the Lord flows. Are y'all following the points that I'm making here? See, God gives us things, but it flows through us. It's not God doing things for us. God has committed authority, dominion, and power, and God flows through people. And He does not flow without us. It's not us praying and saying, oh, God, we ask you to heal, and then we just sit back and wait on God. No, God flows through people, and we need to stand up and start taking our authority and rebuking things, commanding healings to flow, speaking forth things, recognizing our spiritual authority. And a lack of doing this is probably the number one reason that people don't receive. They think that believing God has the power, the ability to do it, is enough. Peter, in this instance that we're reading, he believed that Jesus had the power to walk on water. If he didn't, he wouldn't have called out to Jesus for help. When he began to sink, he called out to Jesus. If he hadn't have believed it, if he had just believed, hey, this was a Spirit, this could not have been Jesus, then he would have yelled back to the guys into the boat to ask them to throw him a rope. But no, he called out to Jesus. He believed Jesus could walk on the water, and yet he still sank. You know why? Because just believing that Jesus can do it is not faith. You've got to not only believe Jesus can do it, but you've got to believe that when Jesus said, you do the same works that I do, you shall do also, then you've got to say, Father, I believe not only can you do it, but I thank you that you gave me authority over sickness and disease. Thank you that you gave me power and dominion over the devil, and praise God that I can do it through you, through your power and through your ability. If you don't take that second step and begin to start recognizing your power and authority, you might as well not believe Jesus can do it for all the good it'll do you. Actually, it'll frustrate you more. You know, there's a lot of Spirit-filled people who are more frustrated than denominational people because Spirit-filled people believe that God can heal. They believe God can uh, prosper and deliver and do things. And a lot of the denominational people, they have less discouragement, less despair than Spirit-filled people because they don't believe God does those things today. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. A person that is believing for nothing isn't going to be disappointed. But when you begin to start believing for great things, you are setting yourself up for disappointment and despair. If you don't go beyond that and begin to understand how God does it and understand your spiritual authority and power, you can actually be more depressed, more disappointed, more discouraged than people that don't believe in the supernatural ability of God. So the point I'm saying is that it is not enough to believe that God can do it. You've got to start recognizing that God has also given you authority and power. The reason that we aren't seeing more manifestation of the power of God is not because God, for some reason, is not willing to release His power. It's not because we haven't asked Him enough. It's because there aren't enough people that know their position, their power. They don't know what they've got, and they aren't using it. It's just like these materials tonight. We were looking for these materials. We were looking for these mailing list cards. We were looking for these things, and we had them all the time but somebody had forgotten it. And so we didn't know what we had, and as a result, we weren't using it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the way it is with Christians. Christians are going around and saying, Oh, God, I'm asking you to pour out your power, and God's looking at you. And according to the Scripture, you got the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of you, and you're asking for more power, and God's, if God could be confused, I believe he'd be scratching his head saying, What more do they want me to do? We're saying, Oh God, just give me faith. The Bible says you got the same faith that Jesus has. I got a tape on that. The faith of God that'll explain that an hour and a half worth of teaching. You got exactly the same amount of faith that Jesus had, and you're asking for more faith. What's God gonna do? The Bible says over in First John chapter two, verse twenty, that you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. People will say all the time, Lord, I just don't know what to do. Oh, God, please help me. God, please speak to me. And the truth is, you already know all things. The point is, God has already done his part. He's already equipped you. He's already given you everything. You don't need to pray and ask God for things. What you need to do is begin to believe that instead of heading to victory, you're coming from victory. We aren't trying to obtain victory. I've already got victory in Christ. And the only reason my victory is not more manifest is because of me, not because of God. I don't have to beg and plead and ask God to do things. God has already done his part. And it's up to me to stand and believe. It's like Elijah, you know, when he came, or Elisha, when he came back and grabbed the mantle and hit the waters and he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? Well, see, that was Old Testament. He didn't have what we have. In the Old Testament, it may have been okay to say, God, where are you? Where's the God of Elijah? But in the New Testament, it shouldn't be, where's the Lord God of Elijah? But it's, where's the Elijah of God? Where's somebody that's going to stand up and be bold enough to take their authority and command some sicknesses to leave and command the blessing of God? That's awesome. You know, when you go to talking about power and authority, you have to always talk about law, like a policeman. You know what he does? He enforces laws. He enforces rules, regulations. If you're talking about somebody in a position of authority like in school, they enforce the rules. Anybody, when you talk about authority, authority comes from rules, from things that have already been committed, written in stone. They're non-negotiable. And so to really talk about authority, you got to talk about law. What I want to share with you tonight is that there are spiritual laws. And I want to try and change a concept. Most people believe that the uh, things of God are just, Concepts, they're they're suggestions, not laws. They believe that they they fluctuate. Most people believe that you can't put God in a box. You can't ever tell what God's going to do. And there may be a partial truth to that. You can't fit God into your denominational box. He may do something that you hadn't figured out. But I can promise you this. God will never, ever, ever violate this word. I can guarantee you that this word is a law. It is forever settled. I use this scripture already in Psalm chapter 89, verse 34. That scripture says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. When the Lord says something, it becomes binding. It is a covenant. Psalms 138, verse 2 says that God has magnified his word above his name. Right. Boy, the name of Jesus is a strong tower. The name of Jesus is so powerful that every knee has to bow at the name of Jesus, and the Word of God is exalted above the name of Jesus. What an awesome statement. And yet people think, well, I've actually heard people say before, well, I know that the Bible says if by his stripes you're healed, but you can't put God in a box. You can't say that it's God's will to heal every time. I can because God's Word says that. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. You've got to recognize that the Word of God spells out laws, and God will not deviate. He will not break His Word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus is the express image of His person and the brightness of His glory, and He upholds all things by the Word of His power. What that's saying, it was talking about creation, if you'll go study it out. And creation is held together by the Word of God. God created the world by words. He told the world to do things, and it functions, and it is based on the command, the words of God. And if God was to break His Word, if He was to break one promise, then the world, the universe, would self-destruct because it's held together by the Word. If the Word is ever compromised, creation is over with. You and I self-destruct. God cannot break His Word, and yet there's people that say, Well, I know God said this, but God is sovereign. God can do anything. God will not violate His Word. God is not ever going to do anything contrary to His Word. There are laws that govern the operation of God. And I tell you, this answers a lot of questions for me because people come to me and say, Well, why did this person die? How come this person died? Man, if anybody was sincere, They were sincere. If anybody was a good person, it was this person. They loved God. They believed, and yet they died. Well, I can tell you there are laws that govern the operation of God. There are people that die that God does not want to die. There are people that God loves with all of his heart. He wants to get deliverance to you, but we can limit God. We can stop God from accomplishing his will in our life. Turn over to Psalms chapter 78 and look at this passage of Scripture. This is talking about the children of Israel, and it's rehearsing some of their history and talking about all of the unbelief that they had and the troubles that they had as a result. And in Psalms, in verse 37, it says, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he away his anger, and did not stir up all his wrath for he remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passeth away and cometh not again these scriptures are describing that God was merciful to these people he was not giving them what he desired his desire was to do them good just like a scripture that we used earlier Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 I know the thought that I think towards you, says, the Lord thoughts of good and not of evil to give you hope and an expected end. God has a good plan for every one of us. He had a good plan for the Israelites. He was trying to bless them and be merciful unto them, but they wouldn't let him. That's what he's talking about. And in verse 40, it says, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. What an awesome statement. Did you know that you can limit God? You can limit what God can do in your life. And some people think, Brother, I don't believe there are any limits. You can't put any limits on God. This scripture says you can limit the Holy One. You can stop what God wants to do in your life. You know why? Because God gave you authority over your life. God says you choose. And if you're making the wrong choices, then you can stop the power of God from operating in your life. That's how much power and authority you've got. Brothers and sisters, by us not acting in authority and in faith and standing up and declaring and demanding what is rightfully ours, we are limiting the Holy One. It's just like in this nation. Did you know that you've got certain rights? If a person comes and steals from you, you've got a right to file a complaint against them and to press charges. But if you don't press charges, you may not like what was done. But if you say, well, I I just am not going to do anything, you don't have to be a bad person. You don't have to go break the law. But just don't demand your rights. Don't press the charges. Don't go through the effort of saying that, Hey, I am going to have my stuff back. I am going to take this person to the police and I will get justice. Don't press charges. And you know what? They can't do it for you. You have to press charges to be able to get your rights and the power that has been given unto you. You have to exert it. You can limit the government. You can limit their intervention. You can literally take things that they desire to do for you and not receive it because you didn't stand up for your own right. And in the spiritual realm, that's what we do. We have limited the Holy One by not understanding that there are laws that govern things. God is not going to just come down and defend you. He flows through you. He gives you the power. It's just like Peter. He says, come, but then Peter had to act on it. He had to believe. He had to get out of the boat. He had to do something. It's up to you to believe God and to step out and begin to start taking authority and using it. When you do it, it's God's power that flows. I guarantee you it was God's power that made Peter walk on the water. He did something supernatural. It had to be supernatural, divine power and authority, but his power, his choice to choose and then act on it was a part of it. It was not pure Holy Ghost. Part of it was Peter. Part of it was Peter stepping out and taking authority and acting. That's, that's good preaching. We limit God. It's not God's will that people die. It's not God's will that little children be sick. It's not God's will that marriages break up and stuff like that. But God's will doesn't automatically come to pass. We limit Him by our lack of faith. Fear is actually nothing but faith in reverse, faith in the negative. When you are fearful of being sick, you know what it is? You got faith that you are not going to be well. You are believing in sickness you are believing more in the power of the devil than you are in the power of god and that will activate the power of the devil the same way that faith will activate and release the power of god well i'm preaching better than you're listening this is good stuff i know it's simple but brothers and sisters most people don't live their life based on these kind of things there are laws that govern how god operates look over in romans chapter 3 verse 27 Romans 3, 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. This talks about a law of works, the law of faith. Also in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know what a law is? A law is something that is universal, like when you talk about the law of gravity, that means that gravity works here in North Carolina the same as it does in Colorado. You know if gravity worked in Colorado, but if it didn't work in Charlotte, it would not be a law. It would be a phenomenon. It would be, it would be a, an exception. And if gravity only works sometimes, but once every five years it doesn't work for a while, it wouldn't be a law anymore. You know, a law is something that you don't ever have to question. It's always absolute. It does not change. It's universal. It's always there. Sometimes you can make it look like the law of gravity isn't working, like a plane. Some people think that it just somehow or another has done away with the law of gravity, but gravity is still there. You're just imposing a greater law, the law of aerodynamics, thrust and lift on it. The moment you stop that law of aerodynamics, the moment you stop the flow of that air over that wing that creates lift, the law of gravity is still there and that thing's coming down. Gravity does not ever cease. It always works. It's constant. Well, there are spiritual laws. See, we've come to trust natural laws. We trust gravity. You don't even think about it. They had a plane crash in Colorado Springs a few years back, about four or five years ago, and this plane, right as it was making its last bank and coming into Colorado Springs, I mean, that thing all of a sudden nosedived, and it went into the ground, and it created a crater, and there wasn't a piece of that plane left more than two or three uh, inches in size. That thing just self-destructed. Everybody was killed. And I mean, it just plummeted right into the ground. The engines actually increased their thrust. They've investigated that thing now for four years, and they finally had to put out a report that, that they don't have the slightest clue what happened. They said that they have no precedent for it. But you know what? Nobody even considered that gravity just increased ten times all of a sudden. It was a surge of gravity. That wasn't even a part of the consideration. You know why? Because it's a law. It's a constant. It doesn't fluctuate. If, it, if all of a sudden gravity increased, it wouldn't be a law anymore. They don't know what caused it, but has anybody questioned the laws? Did they question gravity? Did they question the law of aerodynamics? Maybe aerodynamics just don't work once every two or three years. You never know. No, they had to write it off as unknown factor, but they did not question the laws. But see, when it comes to spiritual things, people don't have that attitude with spiritual things. People think, well, brother, this person did everything that they could do. They believed God and they still died. You just can't tell me it's God's will. Why? Because something happened that you can't figure out with your little peanut brain? In the natural, they didn't figure out how that plane crashed, and yet did anybody say the gravity was just too strong that day? No. The laws stay constant. God's Word says that He's willing, not willing, that any person should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. And yet there are people who are not being born again. Why? Well, I can't tell you all the reasons, but ultimately I can tell you this. God's will is still God's will. It's a law. There are absolutes in the kingdom of God, and it doesn't change. It's God's will for you to be well. But does that mean that you're going to automatically be well? No, because you can limit the Holy One. And it's not only you. There's other. I'm not here to teach on that, but there's other things that can stop the healing power of God in your life besides you. Healing is not totally dependent upon you in faith. There's other things that can hinder healing. I haven't got time to teach on that. But there's a lot of things. And guess what? I would not be at all surprised if God is greater and there are actually some laws and some things that I haven't learned. It wouldn't surprise me a lick. I'm being facetious. I can guarantee you there's a lot of things I haven't learned, and yet I can tell you dozens of things that affect everything. There are laws, and if a person doesn't get healed, if a person doesn't get set free, if a person's finances don't come in, if your answer to prayer doesn't happen just like that, there are reasons for it. I may not know what they are, but I can tell you this. God is a holy God. God is a just God. There are laws that govern his operation, and there are reasons why it happened. Just because you don't know what they are doesn't mean that God fails you. See, you need to get this kind of attitude. If you would develop this kind of a concept and say, Father, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. If it's me, show me. If it was something else, show me. I'm willing to be taught, but God, I will not come up and say, well, it must not be your will to do this because I asked. And if it would have been your will, it would have come to pass. It's not that simple. There are laws that govern the things of God. And see, your authority comes by discovering these laws. Once you understand that it is God's will for you to prosper, well, then that is one of the laws of God. It is God's will for you to prosper. Now you've got to discern how is it that it's going to happen. Well, it's going to come through you. you got to start recognizing that you've got authority and power. And then tonight, if I had time, we could literally go through dozens of spiritual laws that I'm aware of. And I'm sure that there's things that I'm still learning. But, you know... Just like the law of you'll have whatsoever you say. That's one of the spiritual laws. You shall have whatsoever you say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's a lot of people that don't choose to believe that. There's people that have seen it abused. There's people that go out and they're one of these name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and they have all of these names for it and they criticize that. Maybe somebody's misused it and so you just choose not to believe it because somebody misused it. Well, that's stupid. Just because somebody's misused it doesn't mean it's true. The Bible says that you'll have what you say. And if you, if you are ignorant of that law, and if you're going around saying, well, I asked God to heal me, but the doctor says I'm dying in a week. Man, the pain's getting worse. I'm hurting more every day. I don't think I'm going to make it. I just can't believe. And then you wonder why you die. Man, that ignorance gone to seed. You're going to have what you say. Now, that's not all that there is to it. There's more to it than just saying, but that is one law of God. I've also been talking and emphasizing this week about, you know, the power of actions. It says faith without works is dead. A person who says, oh, I believe God, but then you act in fear. You act in unbelief. You act in discouragement. We dealt with some of this last night, that some of you are believing God for prosperity, but then you're afraid to give because you don't have it. You're going to wait until prosperity comes, and then you'll give. You have not added any actions to your faith. Your faith is dead and you have not released any power and you aren't going to see it come to pass. And don't be discouraged. Don't be uh, confused. Why you haven't prospered when you haven't given. It doesn't work that way. There's a law of God. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's like a person going out to his field and saying, Man, if I could just get a crop. If I'd have a thousand pounds of wheat grow up, I'll give off of it. It's not the way it works. You plant the seed and then you reap your crop. You don't reap a crop and then start planting seeds once your crop comes in. Some of you are saying, Oh, I'm waiting for my ship to come in and you never sent one out. It's a law of God that before you reap, you've got to sow. It's a law of God. Whatsoever a man sows. It says over in Galatians chapter 6, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Here's some of you saying, But... Oh, I've done everything right, and yet I'm still sick, and I'm still poor, and nothing is working. I can tell what you have sown in your life by what you're reaping. I don't have to be there when a person sows their crop in their fields. I can go tell you by the harvest. I can tell you by the crop that grows up exactly what a person has sown in their field. I don't have to be there to see what somebody say, But you just don't know what I've done. I can tell by looking at your life what you've done. Just the same as there are laws in the natural realm and a person can't tell me, oh, I sowed this crop perfect. I sowed corn and yet wheat's growing in my field. You never know what God's going to do. I can guarantee you if you got wheat in your field, you sowed it or you allowed somebody else to come in and sow wheat in your field. But if you are reaping wheat, you sowed wheat. If you are reaping death and destruction, you have sown it somewhere or you have allowed an enemy to sow it. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go out and just plan on it, but be passive and let the devil control your seed time and you will reap a a harvest of destruction. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says to be carnally minded is death. It didn't say it tends towards death. It's not one of the big causes of death. It says carnal mindedness is death. Carnal equals death. And then the rest of that verse says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritual mindedness is life and peace. So look at your life. Is it death or is it life? If there's death, guess what? You are carnally minded. Is that too hard for anybody? Anybody miss this? Carnal mindedness produces death. If you got death, you are carnal. Spiritual mindedness produces life and peace. If you've got something other than life and peace, you are something other than spiritual minded. Isn't that simple? Now see, the world comes and says, oh, but that's not so. You've got to remember that uh, we live in a depressed area. And uh, you just can't prosper in this society today. They've closed down this plant and that plant, and it just doesn't work that way anymore. you just got to take those things into account. The Bible didn't say that. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can change your circumstances. You can change your surroundings. You know, there was a church in um, Pueblo, Colorado that I used to go to every year. The pastor's now left and gone on, and so I don't go there anymore. But that church just moved into a shopping center, bought this shopping center, had big payments, quite a bit of overhead. They had about 350 people in their church. And right after they moved into this shopping center, C.F. and I... Steel mill in Pueblo closed. They employed over 60% of the population worked at that steel mill. And they just closed the whole thing, laid everybody off, and it was over. His church went to 80% unemployment in one week, right after they moved in. With all of these bills, with everything, and that church looked like it was going to go bankrupt. They were going to lose everything. They had no equity, zero equity in that building. It was a terrible situation. And you know what they did? This pastor got up, and I went there every six months or so, and uh, this pastor had a confession that they read. He had the whole church, and they memorized it. They said it every time the service started. And they got up and read that the Lord is my source, not CFNI, CO Corporation. God supplies my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And... Uh, They would confess things, and they said, Pueblo, Colorado, is the number one place in the nation to live and to do business. It has the lowest unemployment rate in all of Colorado. And at the time they were saying that, it was over 60% unemployment rate. Guess what? In about eight months, I picked up a magazine in an airplane and read it, and Pueblo, Colorado, was voted the number one place to live and do business in the United States. And it had the lowest unemployment rate in all of Colorado, and and this day, in less than a year, that entire economy turned around, and it is one of the most prosperous cities in that nation. Most people would have used that as an excuse to say all kinds of things. They stood on the Word of God, and with the law of faith, they literally changed their physical circumstances. But there are some of you that believe, but you don't understand, I'm second-generation welfare. Who cares? If you would take the law of God and if the law of God would become more real to you than all of your excuses, you could begin to start acting and seeing the power of God operate. Some of think, but you don't understand. This has been a physical problem in my family. It's genetic. Who cares? You got new blood flowing through your veins. You're a child of the king. By the time my dad was my age, he would already died once. He was dead for 15 minutes, raised from the dead. He had all kinds of problems. I hadn't got a one of them. I broke those generational curses over me about 20-something years ago. There are spiritual laws that supersede natural laws. The spiritual laws are greater than the natural laws. And one of those laws is that he said, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can't pray and say, oh, God, please get the devil off my case. You have to rebuke the devil and he'll flee from you. You could turn that around and say it this way, that if you don't rebuke the devil, he will not flee from God or anybody else. God is not going to rebuke the devil. God and the devil are not in direct conflict. Jesus meant the devil and beat him hands down and there is no direct conflict between God and the devil. The only one that Satan is fighting is you. He's indirectly fighting God because as he fights you and as you yield through fear or doubt or unbelief, you limit the Holy One. You're the only one that can stop God. So it is not God's turn to rebuke the devil. Satan isn't doing anything that God told him not to do. Satan's only thing he's doing is coming against you and he's getting you to limit God. It's your turn to rebuke the devil. You have to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Man, we just haven't understood the power and the authority that we've got. The Bible says you can bridle your body with your tongue. That's out of James chapter 3. You know, one of the things you need to do is talk to your body. Talk to it. That's the law of God. One time I was having a toothache. I don't know how many years ago this has been. It's probably, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe. long time ago. And I'd been having this problem for two weeks. And my jaw, my uh, gum was swollen. My tooth was hurting, and I'd tried to believe God. I'd thanked Him for healing. I'd spoken that it is God's will to heal. God, I believe You can do it. All of these things, and I was listening to a Charles Capps tape right as we drove into Colorado Springs. Right as we crested this hill and start, saw the mountains, and uh, of course Charles Capps, all he ever teaches on is the power of what you say. It's just speak the word. And anyway, he was preaching on Mark 11:23, 24. And he said, you shall have whatsoever you say. And then he was saying, the Bible says, say to this mountain. And all of a sudden, I'd heard this before, but it became real to me. It dropped into my heart that I had been talking to God about my problem instead of talking to my problem. That's what it says when it says, speak to your mountain. God isn't the mountain. It says, if any man say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. You have to say to the mountain. It didn't say, say to God about the mountain. It said, say to your mountain. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I'd been praying for two weeks to God about my mountain. But I hadn't talked to it. My mountain was my gum that was infected and hurt. So when I got in the, the motel as best I could, I looked in the mirror, opened my mouth, stuck my finger in my mouth and pointed to that place that hurt and talked to it. And I said, you are healed in the name of Jesus. Gum, you resist this infection. Pain, you leave in the name of the Lord. And in ten minutes, all this pain was gone. Everything was fine. I'd suffered with it for two weeks because I'd been asking God to take away the pain instead of me taking the authority and me commanding it and speaking to it. Look over in Isaiah chapter 45. If you have a Bible, you need to open your Bible and read this or you wouldn't believe this is in the Bible. You need to see this. Isaiah chapter 45, in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my Son, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. You know, this scripture says that we are to command God What an awesome statement. And most people read that and their mind just immediately overloads. And they think, oh, man, I don't understand this. It all goes back to authority and to laws. God has already done everything that needs to be done. He's already produced healing. He's already produced prosperity. He's already produced victory for you, joy and peace. Every fruit of the Spirit's already been produced and deposited on the inside of you. And you don't have to ask God to do it. The power has already been generated and released. All you have to do is tap into it. It's just like this electricity. Electricity is governed by law. You know, I'm not real familiar with all the laws of electricity, and because of that, I've nearly been killed a number of times. I have been knocked flat on my back. It wasn't too many years ago that I had two twenty volts go through me over in the U.K., and my entire left side went numb for about eight hours. I was preaching while I stuck my finger in a lectern at a university, and 240 volts went through me. <laughs> Boy, it was awesome. They said my preaching was electrifying. <laughs> but I've had some bad experiences with electricity, and because of it, I'm just not real confident around electricity. I am, I'm tentative around it. And yet I've worked with some people who are electricians. And you know people who know what they're doing? There's no, there's nothing weird or spooky about electricity. There's laws that govern. And if you know those laws, you don't have to be afraid of it. I actually had a man one time. I was working on a bathroom, and I'd already pulled the sink out, and there was some water on the floor, and I had to rewire a light. And a guy came in, and I was going to go turn off the electricity. The way I do it, I don't cut off the breaker because I've been shocked even after the breaker's been cut off. I go out and chop down that pole behind the house amen. <laughs> I mean, I just totally annihilate the electricity out of that house, and then and only then do I work on it. This guy didn't even turn off the breaker. This guy was standing there in a puddle of water and working with live wires, and he says, there's no problem if you know what you're doing. But, boy, I wouldn't do that because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, there's some of you that approach some of the things of God with the same fear that I have towards electricity and you know why? Because you don't know the laws of God. You don't know how it works. Once you find out that God is predictable, that God has already settled everything, then you can be just as confident. You can stand and command healing into a person and not... Some people say, how could you do that? Because I know God and I know the laws of God. I know that He's already healed every person and that it is His will for them to be healed and that I can command things somebody haven't discovered that law and that's the reason you aren't that bold but I have learned that and it's changed the way that I pray and do things so anyway it's like the law of electricity there are laws that govern it but if you wanted the electricity on here tonight you don't call up the power company and say oh please turn on the power we're going to have a, a camp meeting tonight a tent meeting and we've got people coming and we've got to have electricity you don't call the electric company the electric company does not come out here and turn the electricity on for you They generate it. They put it into here, but it is at your command. You go over there and flip the switch, and when you flip the switch, you are commanding electricity. You're making a demand on electricity.
1: Now,
0: does that mean that you can produce it, that it's your power just because it's under your command? No. I guarantee you, you can't stick a light bulb in your mouth and make it come on. (laughs) You cannot generate that power. Somebody else has to generate the power, but then they put it at your command, at your disposal, under your dominion, under your control. Any of those words you want to use are the same. It's the same with God. God, You can't heal a gnat. You can't do anything in your own natural self. You cannot rebuke the devil and overcome him in your own physical ability and power. But it's God's power, but it's at your command. It's at your disposal. And in the same way as the electric company will not come turn on the electricity for you, God will not rebuke the devil for you. God will not come and heal the person for you. It's at your command. You stand there and you can literally command the power of God. That doesn't mean that you're imposing on God. You can't command God to do anything that he hadn't already done. You can only command things that have already been done. You can only turn on the electricity if it's already on. If you are not connected to the power source, then you can go over there and flip that switch all you want to and nothing's going to happen. You've got to pay your bill. Amen. Keep the electricity on. But if the electricity's on, then you can command it and it'll work for you. If you are in relationship with God, if God has already healed, which he has, then you can command that healing. You can literally say things and God will back up your words. Well, that's not the attitude that most people have. Most people don't look at things this way at all. Most people, it's, oh, God, we're asking you to heal this person. Well, sure, it's God's power, but it's at your command, just like this law of electricity. God, You could have used electricity back in Jesus' day if somebody would have tapped into those laws, but people through their ignorance weren't able to benefit from electricity. And that's the only thing that kept them from doing it. The laws of aerodynamics have been in place since the world were created. People could have flown back in the days of Moses, but they didn't know the laws. It wasn't God that says you can't do it. It wasn't God that forbid It wasn't God that was failing to fly back in the days of Moses. It was man that failed to learn the laws and put them into practice. It's not God that's failing to heal people. It's people that have failed to learn those laws and how they operate and put them into practice. And if you don't know the laws properly, you can get killed by those laws. There are people that get killed by electricity. It's it's intended to be useful and good for us, but you can be killed deader than a hammer by electricity. There are people that get killed playing around with healing and trying to believe God for healing. And they actually get killed by it because they didn't use it right. There's people that throw away their insulin when they haven't really believed. They think that actions make faith come when the truth is faith makes you act and they misunderstand it and they throw away their insulin and die and then everybody says see what this healing stuff did well what if we what if we threw away electricity because somebody was electrocuted today we wouldn't do that we'd say hey electricity there's nothing wrong with electricity this person violated one of those laws concerning electricity if they died well it's the same thing with healing if a person dies it's because they violated one of the laws of electricity you may not know what it is you may not know what caused the plane to crash but don't doubt the laws that govern flight you may not know why a person died. You may not have a slightest clue, but don't doubt the laws of God. I've dealt with a lot of people that, I mean, everything looked good, honestly, from my standpoint. If anybody ever believed God, it had to be this person. They were the most sincere, the most dedicated. They were saying the right things. And yet I've had to tell people when they die, I said, hey, it wasn't God's Word that failed. Somewhere there was something happening. And in this one case, I can remember, after a person died... They found a diary that they had been keeping privately. And you know what? This person was saying the right things for their mate because the mate was believing with everything, so excited. They would have felt like they were letting down their mate and not operating in faith if they'd have said anything. So they spoke nothing but faith. They said the right things, but in their diary. They said, God's already shown me I'm going to die. It will not work. They had already planned. They left instructions for their funeral. And everybody was just shook until they found this thing and found out that in this person's heart they didn't believe for whatever reason it was. That's no discredit to them. I, you don't go to hell for not believing in healing. You can still go to heaven and be sick. You'll get there quicker. <laughs> Amen? You don't have to operate in healing. But what I'm saying is there is a reason. The law was not put into, pr- into motion. It's all. there's always a reason. You need to get this mentality that God operates by law. It's not God up there with his arms folded just looking at every individual case and saying, I don't think you're sincere enough. You hadn't suffered enough. You hadn't prayed hard enough. You hadn't even fasted a single day. I'm not going to give you anything. It's not God up there like that. There are laws that come. God's already healed every person that will ever be healed. Healing has already been provided. The power is generated and delivered and deposited on the inside of you. And it's just a matter of can you tap into it? Can you activate it? That's all that there is to it. That's all that there is to healing. We pray and say, oh God, go put your mighty hand on this person. The Lord doesn't have to lift a finger to heal a person. He's already done it. He's already generated the power. Ephesians chapter 1, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, already indwells you. The same power that it took to resurrect Jesus after three days' death is already on the inside of you. You don't need any more power than that. All you gotta do is just kinda hit the combination that releases that power. And it's really not that hard. It's very simple. But I haven't got time to teach you all of those things tonight, but I'm saying I'm just laying the principle out. You know, if you really believe that you had that power and that it was already done, and it's just a matter of God. Show me what I need to do to be able to walk in this and to release it and to activate my faith. If you really believe that, you'd stick with it until you saw manifestation. But the problem is that people don't have that concept. They think, well, I'm doing everything I can and for some reason God hasn't moved. God isn't going to move. We, Satan is able to make us doubt so easily and so we just give it a little token resistance and if it doesn't work, then we say, well, it must not have been God's will. That's the reason you give up so quickly. But when you understand that it's a law, it's a law just like electricity. Man, if you go over there and flip the switch and the lights don't come on, there are reasons why it didn't come on. And all you got to do is begin to start tracing them. And if you know what the laws are, you can always find out why it didn't work. Always, always. It's the same thing with healing. It's the same thing with prosperity. Same thing with deliverance. There are reasons why things work. And these laws, you know, God established this for our own good so that you don't have to worry about things. Man, aren't you glad that electricity doesn't just work sometimes? God does it based on how good of a person you are. And only if you're a good person and only if you're kind and only if you've really walked in love today does electricity work. It's not based on anything like that. It's a law. It'll work for the unbeliever. The Lord sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Gravity works for everybody. Did you know spiritual laws work, work, work? God did that for your own good so that you don't have to wonder, so that it doesn't have to be the way that we become. God hates this kind of existence where you never know what God's going to do. Let's pray and see if God will do something. That God isn't even remotely like that. God hates that kind of thing. Everything that God does is so orderly and systematic. Man, I'm talking as fast as I can, and I got so much I could say. Genesis chapter 1, when the Lord created the heavens and the earth. You know, it's very specific how he created it. He didn't say, let there be trees, let there be grass, let there be animals. You know, if he'd have done that, he'd have had to create new trees as soon as the old ones wore out. He'd have had to create new grass every time. Every flower, he'd have had to create new flowers. The Lord would be busy constantly creating, creating. He'd have to get up and make a million new cows this morning and 5,000 new donkeys and all of this. But if you read the way he created, he said, Let the earth bring forth grass whose seed is in itself. Let the earth bring forth her bearing seed whose seed is in itself. You know, it's kind of wordy, but there was a reason for it because when he created things, he gave them the ability to procreate and keep going. He created everything with the ability to replenish. He created you. When he said, You be fruitful and multiply, when God said that, that gave mankind the ability to procreate and have children. Some people miss this, and they think that, No, if you have a child, it is totally a gift from God. You cannot have a child unless God wants you to. Well, now, the Scripture does talk about that a child is a gift from God, and I'm not saying that God is not involved in this thing, but I'm saying you are the one that has the authority. He gave you the ability. You put the laws into motion and you're going to get pregnant unless something's wrong with you. If it wasn't so, harlots, prostitutes, unwed mothers could not have children because I can guarantee you it's not God's will that you have a child out of wedlock and yet you put two people together and let them have physical relationships and they will have children even if they aren't married and if it's not a godly relationship. Those laws work. When God created us, he doesn't have to sit down and just directly create a new person. We have the authority, the ability to take God's supernatural power and put these laws into motion and you can literally create. Well, that's awesome. God is so systematic the way he does everything and yet... Religion has somehow convinced us that you never know what God's going to do. Why did God heal this person and not heal this person? God is no respecter of persons. That's another law of God. Romans chapter two, verse eleven. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't treat us differently. God doesn't have favorites. That may not be totally true because if you, he, he's pleased with faith. But I'm, he doesn't, he's not unjust in his dealing with anybody. He's consistent. He's honorable, he's trustworthy, he's faithful to every single person. There is no person that he fails to do anything for. God who created such order is himself orderly. God who established such laws that you can go back 10,000 years and tell exactly when the eclipse happened 10,000 years ago. Everything is perfect, it's in order. You can tell 10,000 years in the future if the Lord waits exactly the day and the moment that they'll have an eclipse. You can tell where Mars will be five years from now and you can shoot a spaceship towards it and they'll intersect and everything's moving because everything is so precise. And yet people think that the one who created such perfection and such order is himself, totally chaotic. You never know what God's going to do. Give me a break. And you understand why we are not receiving from the Lord any better. We don't even have the basics down. We don't even know the nature of God. We don't understand laws. We think God is totally haphazard. That will kill faith. You cannot effectively operate in faith without understanding law and authority and that there's rules and that God is predictable. Well, that's awesome. I tell you, if you could get the concept, not just the words, but the concept that I'm talking about tonight, and if that could become a part of you, I tell you, it would forever, ever, 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 ever change your life. I still have things happen to me that I don't have a clue how they're happening. But guess what? I have never... Since the Lord showed me these things, I've never doubted Him and said, God, why didn't you do this? I know God is forever settled. He's nothing but pure good. Toward me he's got a covenant of peace with me and if something doesn't work right I don't get bitter I don't get angry I haven't been bitter and upset with God and disappointed with God God's never failed me I fail him constantly but God has never ever failed me and even when I don't understand it I don't worry about it it'll all work out boy it has given tremendous stability to my life let me share a passage of Scripture. I'll quit with this. This is where I was wanting to start tonight.
1: <laughs>
0: and I didn't make it very far. Over in Mark chapter 5. Let's look at this example about the woman who had the issue of blood. Jesus was asked by Jairus to go heal his daughter. And Jesus said, I will go and heal her. And he started out. You know, here's another law. This is not what I'm on to teach on, but this... This is so simple. Do you know laying hands on people is one of the laws of God? You can transmit the anointing of God. The anointing of God is something that can be released. When you lay hands on people, there's a reason for it. It's just like when you have a car and your battery dies, you pull up another car and you put those jumper cables on there and the good battery will charge the dead battery. Well, you know, our brain is the part that either releases or stops the flow of the Holy Ghost. Your spirit is where the power is, but your brain can totally stop it from flowing. So if your brain isn't working right, if you are thinking wrong, if Satan has deceived you somehow or another and you aren't able to release this power, you know what you do? You come up to somebody whose brain is working. They have renewed their mind and I release, I put my hands on you and the power flows through me and we bypass your brain and get to your body. I'm laying my jumper cables on you. That's <laughs> the law of God. You can transmit the anointing of God through cloth. It was done in 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Some people think, wasn't that an awesome miracle? Well, it was a miracle and it was the power of God, but it really isn't anything spooky at all. Just like you can put perfume on a cloth. You can put the anointing of God on a cloth and pass it to a person and come in contact with their body. I put, I put, uh, I've sent prayer cloths out to people before and had people put it in a pillow slip, and that person sleep on that thing and awesome miracles happen and diseases depart people. I've seen that happen hundreds and hundreds of times. There's really nothing strange about it. It's just strange to our little peanut brain, but it's definitely in order with what God teaches in His Word. He went to lay hands on this girl because he was asked to do it, and he went there in his physical person because you can literally transmit the anointing of God. You know, you can also transmit it without a cloth or without hands. You can speak it, and that's over in the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew. A man who had strong faith says, Don't come into my house. I don't need you to touch anybody. Say the word only, and Jesus marveled said, I've never seen so great a faith. You know, you can release anointing through words. If a person would believe it, you can receive the power of God through nothing but words. But people receive differently. Some people, they need you to touch them. Some people, they need to say, there it is, I feel the anointing of God. Some people need to hear that because that's what they have to have to have their faith operate. It's not the highest form of faith. That's about as sorry as you can get. But there's some people that need that. And when I pray for people, lots of times I'll tell them, all right, "There's the anointing of God," because I discern it, and it helps them quickens their faith. So anyway, he was going with Jairus, and in the midst of it, there was a woman that came to him. In verse 25, it says, "In a certain this is Mark 5:25, in a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse." You know, I just, I can't pass this up, but this is awesome. Here she was spending all of her money on a doctor. It didn't help her, and she wasn't mad at the doctor for charging her. You know, Dean was up here tonight saying some things about the offering, and people get upset sometimes when you say things about it, and people say things like, Preachers, all they're after is money. Let me ask you, how many doctors have you ever gone to that didn't mention anything about money, that didn't give you a bill, that didn't say something? And did you leave their office saying, those doctors are after nothing but money? If you were to go into a store and get some medication and then just walk out and not pay, and you set off an alarm and they grab you and the police come, and they, well, what's wrong? Are these people only after money? Are they not here to help me? Are they only selling me this medicine for money? If you were to say something like that, people would look crazy at you. They'd say, "Well, no, it's not the only reason, but man, they're certainly they're certainly justified to say something about money." We don't get upset with people that they charge for things. You know, the church has voluntarily chosen to make it free will. We don't send out bills. I'm Dean, might but. <laughs> Most people don't send out statements or bills. He may encourage you. He may tell you and minister the Word of God to you because he loves you. But then some people get upset and say, all that preacher's after his money. Why didn't you say that about the drugstore? Why didn't you say that about the shoe store? Why didn't you say that about the place where you bought your clothes? I tell you, that's hypocritical. That is unfair. This woman spent everything she had on the doctors and didn't think a thing about it. Those doctors didn't do a thing for her that they didn't charge her for. Amen. Yet let a minister mention money and boy, that guy is a crook. It says in verse 27, it says, When she had heard of Jesus, came behind in the press and touched his garments, for she said, notice, here is a law of God, you shall have whatsoever you say. She said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She was operating in the laws of God. She may not have had total understanding of it, but she did it. Did you know if you go grab a hot wire of electricity, you don't have to understand all the laws of electricity to get killed by it. It'll work. You don't have to understand it. Just do it. She may not have understood everything. She may not have been able to teach somebody else, but nonetheless, she did it. She said... If I can touch but his clothes, I shall be healed. Here was another law of God. You can transmit the anointing of God. She knew it could flow through his garment. I don't know if she had revelation. I don't know how she came by, but she was operating. Here's two laws of God right there. And, you know, there's some other laws. I haven't got time to go into all of this, but one of them is that you have to persevere. Man, if you just try it. If you say, dear devil, please leave me alone, if it be God's will... Amen. I can just guarantee you the devil's not going to leave. Sometimes you've got to resist the devil. The word resist means to actively fight against. It takes some effort. You've got to be committed. This woman was committed. And I can promise you, the Bible says that the multitude was thronging her and pressing her. You know what the word throng and press means? It means that there were thousands of people touching him. They were crowding around him, thousands of people... Now, you imagine this. You visualize this. Think about this woman coming and touching the hem of Jesus' garment, and you tell me how in the world a woman could bend over gracefully in the midst of a multitude pushing and thronging against Jesus trying to touch him and just gracefully bend over and touch the hem of his garment. Couldn't have been done. You know what this woman did? This woman was crawling... Through that crowd on her hands and knees and reached out. And the reason she touched the hem of his garments, because that's where she was. That's what she could reach. This woman was forcing herself. Man, she was determined. That's another law of God. If you don't really want it. If you don't really mean it, it won't work. you got to believe with all of your heart. This woman was desperate. That's one of the reasons you see more miracles happen in foreign countries than you see happen in the United States because those people don't have welfare that's going to pay them so that they can be sick. If those people don't get healed, they're going to beg or they're going to die or they're going to get run over. Those people have to have help and there isn't plan B or plan C and so they're motivated. And you see more miracles. Over here, you can be blind and get a good living for it. Man, you can be handicapped in a wheelchair and they make ramps for you and they provide you with the living. And I'm not saying all those things are wrong, but I'm just saying that it does take away some of the desperation that people have. A lot of people get healed because they get desperate. Sometimes you've got to be desperate before you receive This woman was desperate. Here's three things that are laws of God that you just find. Any person who really flows in the power of God will always operate in these things. And anyway, she reached out and touched his clothes. And it says in verse 29, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, immediately knowing. When did he know? that virtue had gone out of him? The moment she touched him. Doesn't that imply that he didn't know before she touched him? It was when she touched him, he felt power go out of him. It says that Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, here's another misconception about God. People think, hey, God knows everything. It's one of the great doctrines about God is that he is all-knowing. It is true that I believe that God has the ability to know all things, but there are three instances in the book of Jeremiah where the Lord was rebuking the people because they had offered their children in burnt offerings unto Moloch, the God Moloch and he says because you've done this thing he says it's an abomination unto me I never commanded any kind of sacrifice that like that neither came it into my mind at any time you know what that says there was something happened that God didn't think was going to happen now I believe because he's God he had the ability there's prophecies in the Bible where he prophesied things thousands of years in advance I believe that God has the ability to know all things I believe he is all knowing but apparently God doesn't exercise that ability all times. It's very possible that God told us only to think on things that are honest, pure, lovely, just, a good report. It's possible that God doesn't like thinking on all of the depraved things that man can do, and he just doesn't want to know all the rotten things that are possible. I don't know exactly how to explain this, but I can tell you this. God does not foresee everything. Jesus, in this case, did not foresee this woman touching him. It says that when she touched him, he recognized virtue had gone. And he turned around and he said, who touched my clothes? Some people think he was just being coy and saying things that he didn't mean. I believe when he said, who touched my clothes, he meant just exactly what he said. Who touched my clothes? Now, this woman didn't come forward immediately. And as you read this over in a different gospel, it says that Jesus perceived who it was, looked at her, and she recognized that she couldn't be hidden. And then she came forward and confessed what happened. But here's the point that I'm making. Jesus did not see this woman coming. He didn't size her up. He didn't say, boy, this woman's sincere. When she touches me, I'm going to release healing. (laughs) Jesus didn't even know that she was there. He didn't stamp approved on her card and said, boy, I'll answer your prayer. It just instantly flowed. How did that happen? Because laws. God was, the virtue was present in Jesus, and the moment faith is connected with God's power, power is released. It's just like an electrical outlet. There's laws here. You don't have to get somebody's approval. Just plug into that thing. You stick two metal objects that'll conduct electricity into there, and I guarantee you power will flow, and nobody had to grant approval for it to happen. You know, it's already God's will that you be healed. And you don't, ha- you don't have to look at it like, Oh, God, please heal me. That whole concept puts an element of doubt into healing. In other words, when you're asking and saying, God, please heal me. God, will you heal me? You've already started and you've got an element of doubt into your prayer because what if he said no? You are in a position of saying, I'm not healed, would you heal me? But if you believe what the Scripture says, 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes we were healed. It's already been done. Done deal. Power's already been generated. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. You got the same power that raised Christ from the dead already dwelling on the inside of you. It's already here. It's just a matter of releasing it. Then it's just, it's just as simple as st- sticking two prongs into that outlet right there. All you got to do is just by faith connect with the fact that God's already done it. And the moment you believe the power of God flows, you don't have to wonder, will God reject me? He can't reject something He's already done. He's already healed you. He's already generated. You don't have to doubt. Will this electricity flow? You stick something in there that conducts electricity, it'll flow. I can guarantee it. It's a law. person gets into faith, I guarantee you, you'll be healed. You'll be delivered. You'll be set free. You'll be prospered. There are laws that govern the things of God. It's not a matter of God accepting some and rejecting others. People think, well, this person was healed because they're such a wonderful person. No, this person was healed because they tapped into the laws of God. And this is the reason that the Word of God is imperative that you know it because that is the manual. That is the instruction. Everything you need to know is in God's Word. You aren't going to get it by just wishing and a-hoping and a-praying. You need to find out what God's Word says. God's Word is forever settled. God's Word, He will not violate His Word. He's exalted above His name. It will never change. God's Word is the key. You've got to get into God's Word and find out the laws that govern how God operates and then begin to place demands on Him. Find out that you can have what you say and start saying things and start commanding some things. Find out that you can have the way you act. Faith without works is dead, so I'm going to start working, acting in agreement with my faith and start releasing the power of God. Find out that it's when you give that you receive and start giving and quit being uh, uh, greedy and hoarding start doing what the word says and releasing prosperity in your life and quit wondering why it isn't working it works do what God's word says man start walking in love and you'll find out that love will make faith work on the inside of you start resisting the devil and he'll flee from you do what God's word says and you will get the results that God's word promises it's very very simple Spiritual mindedness produces life and peace. Carnal mindedness produces death. That's so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand that. We've had a lot of help. Man, we need to renew our minds and start learning that God is not weird or spooky. He is the most dependable person. God is consistent. And boy, you need to start getting hold of these things and start basing your life on absolutes. Quit bouncing around and just letting circumstances tell you, well, it must not have been God's will. Who cares about circumstances? Go by what God's word says. Look at absolutes. Go back to the manual and let your life be governed by the manual instead of being governed by experience. Well, it'll change your life. Amen? Yes, Is there anybody here tonight that'd just say Drive.